Welcome to the Oasis Revival Ministry podcast and sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Daniel McGear. For more sermons or info regarding our church, visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za. Oh man. So, Father, I just, I'm praying that you'll come and soften hard hearts in Jesus' name. And that today you will surgically work on our hearts to remove all the, all, all of them, all of the infirmities, what's the right word, all of the stuff that just doesn't exist in a heart that loves you. And Father, I pray, Lord, that for those of us who need divine confrontation, that we will see your eyes of love and we will be confronted by your grace. But Father, may we experience your love in its fullness. Will you heal our hearts? Will you come and restore us in your divine power in Jesus' name? Just put your hand on your heart and say, I'm ready to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to frame this and then we're going to use it to pray for people's hearts. That's, that's what's happening over here. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, turn to the person next to you. Say, I'm, I've never been more ready <laughs> for a sermon in my life. <laughs> I've never been more ready to receive the fullness of God. I've never been more ready to change. Holy Spirit, will you guide us in your goodness? All right. I am in Philippians and in Romans. uh, Philippians 3, Romans 8. And that's pretty much where we're going to be today. If I can find Philippians in my Bible. Philippians. Alrighty. Alright, so how many of you are God is very interested in your life? But he's interested in your life for a reason. And that's because you form part of the bride of Christ. And the bride is the greatest love story ever told. There isn't a beautiful, more wonderful picture. And trust me, I see lots of grooms waiting for their brides to walk down the aisle. (laughs) There isn't a beautiful, more wonderful picture. Ask Leon, he just experienced it a month ago. He's a new guy, you know, he's... (laughs) Then, you know, we, when, we, when, we, when we were at Leon's wedding and, and I'm doing the ceremony and I look at Leon, I, I'm like, I just want to cry. I just like, because he's crying. And, and, <laughs> and I don't have as much love for Milani as Leon does, but, <laughs> but I was nearly as overwhelmed as he was, you know, just as this bride appears and this beautiful picture of holiness and of love is just so real and so evident there for everyone to see. 
And that, that's what God is doing. And um, we, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're all a part of the bride. But more than that, we are citizens of the state of God. And Philippians, in Philippians 3, verse 20, it says, But we are citizens of the state which is in heaven, and from it also we earnestly and patiently await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. <sighs> and I shared last week on how Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, listen, you know, you need to be born again because only when you're born again will you see the kingdom of heaven. And then Revelations 21 says, see a new heaven and a new earth. And what that implies is, is that being born again means a complete change of heart. Being born again means a full commitment to Jesus Christ in our lives. And when we've given our whole heart to Jesus, he opens up our eyes. So suddenly we see a new heaven and a new earth and we see a new kingdom. We see in the heavenly realm, we don't see in an earthly realm. And so at that very moment, those who are full committed lovers of Jesus Christ, when they say, I want to love you, when I believe in you and when I have faith, you become a citizen of a state, not of an earthly state, but of a kingdom state. And that kingdom state is far higher above any other state or nation that has ever existed before. You see, first they were the Jews, they were God's beloved, but then the scripture came and said, now there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile, for we're all one in Jesus Christ. And so the border lines have been erased, and the nationality lines have been erased, and the race lines have been erased. Because under, in the fullness of Jesus' love, we, we're all part of one state that supersedes even the countries of the earth. It says, may all nations come to me. <laughs> may we become disciples of all nations, never mind just our own nation. Never mind just our own bodies. Never mind just our own families. We're part of the bride, which is the state, a kingdom, nation, state. I like the word, I, man, that, that, you know, it's been a, a message we've been carrying for a long time on a flight back from America. I was just looking out over the continent of Africa and God said, Africa will be an example of peace to the nations of the world. And I look at Africa from above and doesn't it just look like a beating heart, you know, just, just look like it carries. Yeah, and things don't always go well, no. We have some challenges in Africa. But I think 
something about Africa, something that differentiates Africa from other nations of the world is its ability to be authentic. And its ability to understand the basics of life. <laughs> I think we're, we're blessed in many ways. I, I often spend time with people from overseas and I'm like, you know, there's a lot of layers there. But down here in Africa, we've got this, oh, it's like a heartbeat. I, I, I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. You know, it doesn't matter if you're black or white. There is a, there is a relation with the basics of what God has created. And I love that. It's not in my notes. I'm just saying it, you know. That's a joke. <laughs> there are three pillars to, or keys, or character traits of the citizens of the state of God. And the first one is that we rejoice. <laughs> and it says in Philippians 3, verse 1 to 3. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, it says, For the rest, my brethren, delight yourselves in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you are in Him, in His heartbeat. And 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How many of you know that old song? Rejoice in the Lord always, and a clap, I say rejoice, <laughs> rejoice. <laughs> when we were at school, that's how we, you know, we used to do it. <laughs> and it's so funny, we were at school, and these are such powerful truths. These are nation-changing truths, and we sing it like, rejoice in the Lord, and clap, say rejoice, and when's it break, and when are we going out to lunch? <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? This is, this is a command. This is God saying, rejoice in me always. Not sometimes, not when you feel nice, not when things are going well. Always rejoice in me. And again, listen, if you haven't heard it enough, again, I say, and then the church says, rejoice. But look over at verse 2 of chapter 3. It says, look out for those dogs. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exalt and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. And then here's the most important part, and this is the most important part to being able to rejoice. It says, and put no confidence or dependence in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages. You see, so many people are looking for physical immediate change before they rejoice. They're looking for, and not even looking for wrong things. Let me tell you what, the flesh isn't just sin itself. The flesh is desiring essential desire, desiring something just to be resolved immediately. Because God, I'll only rejoice when I see physical change. 
And the Judaizers, you know, they weren't just Jews. They were Jews who had learnt and, and heard about Christ. And in the freedom of the gospel, they were approaching those who were already saved and they were trying to impose their physical laws back on Christians who were running in freedom. And the temptation is, the temptation is, man, I want to change this thing here and now. I want to bring in some laws. I want to make some physical changes. Because when I've made those changes, I'm going to feel all right. And you know what happens to those who even make those changes? They get to the other side and they go, I don't feel so good. <laughs> I did all of those things and it feels worthless. Let's go to Romans 8. Verse 48. I don't want to give anyone Buck's Law today. Verse 8 says, Then those who are living the life of flesh cannot please or satisfy God. That's verse, verse 8. But verse 5, let's start at verse 4. So that the righteous and just requirement of the law might be fully met in us who live and move not in ways of the flesh, but in ways of the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its holy desires, set their minds and pursue those things which gratify the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit and are controlled by the desires of the Spirit, set their minds and seek those things which gratify the Spirit. Now the mind of flesh is sense and reason without the Holy Spirit. And it is death. It cannot please or satisfy God or be acceptable to Him. And the mind of the Spirit is peace and freedom now and forevermore. And I just felt so strongly in this time as we prepare for our votes and as we prepare for our vote in two weeks' time and change of whatever we're hoping is going to be changed, <laughs> I just had a sense and a check in my heart that we need to make sure we're not looking for the physical things as members of the state of South Africa, but that we're looking way and far above as members of the state of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and some of us as Christians might even be tempted to dream of physical change, to dream of doing things that will bring some form of change now and in this moment. And God is saying, you're part of a much bigger state than South Africa. And I'm doing a much bigger work than just changing South Africa. I am doing a work of bringing peace 
to the whole world. <laughs> and you might be impatient, and you might think, man, if it would only happen in this very next two weeks, and if only we would see change suddenly, because otherwise, God, if that doesn't happen... <sighs> And God's saying, no, 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 no. I've got such a big plan. I've got such a big plan with Jesus Christ. You see, I've been at work for 2,000 years. And what you see in the physical realm is the fruit of my work for the last 2,000 years. Because my prophetic word says of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So there is a constant increase of the peace of God. Not just in our beautiful little country, gold-dipped country at the bottom of Africa. <laughs> you see, when you set your eyes on the kingdom, you're not even bothered by what physically takes place and by what physically makes you afraid or whatever. You see, those who love the flesh, they're bothered. They're, they're afraid. They're concerned. They're saying, watch out, you must watch out. They're pretending to be watchmen on the walls. Where Jeremiah clearly says, those who are watchmen on the walls are pointing people to the kingdom and saying, let's go and praise. Watchmen on the walls don't sit and say, watch out, look out for that enemy. Let's be scared of that. Let's be afraid of the next evil thing that comes our way. Because you see, people who talk like that are pointing Christians' eyes to evil. And they're pointing their eyes to what will corrupt and ruin the soul and maybe even harden the heart. If you're a watchman on the wall, you're saying, let's go praise. You're saying, let's go rejoice. That's what you're saying. Go read it. Jeremiah 31 says there'll come a day when watchmen will cry out, let's go up to Zion. Let's go praise our God. That's the role of a watchman. That's the only role of a watchman in the kingdom of God. Because you see, perfect love casts out fear. Why would you even place someone on the wall to, to protect you when perfect love has already casted out all fear? In Revelation 2, listen to this, this is so important and so vital for our time right now. It says here, Revelation 2 verse 2, I know your industry and activities and your laborious toil and your trouble and your patient endurance and how you cannot tolerate wicked men and have tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles and yet are not, and have found them to be imposters and liars. I mean, here's a church that hates wickedness. It's the perfect example of what a good church person should look like. I hate wickedness. And then he says, I found this one thing against you. You have lost your first love. Then verse 6 again, it says, yet you have this thing in your favor. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. They're corruptors of people, which I myself also detest. <laughs> so here's the church it's saying, I hate wickedness. 
I hate corruption. We're going to fight this thing. We're going to labor it. We're going to toil. We're going to do everything we can to stop corruption. In Jesus' name, we're going to do it. And then God says, but you've lost your first love. You see, you can't toil and fight and win victories. <laughs> you can't even beat corruption if you don't love Jesus. You can't. There is nothing you can do to beat corruption and beat down the wicked and whatever it is and destroy all evil on earth unless you love Jesus. You see, that's what the watchman on the wall is crying out. He's saying, here is a God, a Jesus who loves you so much. And if my bride will gather together and love me, there will be an increase of peace. That peace that surpasses all understanding. See, yeah, it says you, you, you reason, you, 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 you've, <laughs> I know your, your, your patient endurance and how you can't tell, and you've done, you've done everything you can. And, and, and God's saying, I want to give you a peace that surpasses all of that understanding. You know, it's a peace that surpasses every good reason not to love <laughs> what God is doing in our nation right now. You know how many bras I go to where I get severely uncomfortable in conversation because they want to convince to me that it really is just so bad right now. <laughs> or how many good arguments are there being used to get us to get going and, and get involved with whatever it is. And here God is saying, I just want you to focus on me and on my love and not lose your first love in this time. And it's not just with regards to this time in our nation. It's every marriage. It's every parent-child relationship. How many money, how much money is spent on parent courses and trying to get knowledge and, and wedding counseling, marriage counseling, and, and all of those things. And, and all God is saying is, focus on me your first, and he uses the word love, not just, you know, these days kids at school are dating and saying, I love you at the tuck shop. <laughs> or I love TV bars. Or, <laughs> But love is a word of passion. It is a word that says I am dedicated, dedicated, fully invested, fully faithful, hundred, have 100% faith, believe in, and all of the words you can describe to describe love. I, I, there's just not a big enough word for that. Veronica's laughing at me because she's thinking of 10 other words. You know. Do you want to let us know, Veronica? <laughs> love is, I am fully committed, devoted to have my eyes on you, That's what love is. You don't take your eyes off of Jesus. And don't lose your love for Jesus. Be passionately in love with him. May your heart beat like his. May you physically feel Jesus inside of you. 
so that day to day you are in love with a Savior that loves you. Our nation, you know what? If the heart of God meets, beats in every single person, prophetically speaking, I just want you to imagine the impossible. All right? So that, so that we can go back to in two weeks' time and when you're voting, you can think about what I'm saying right here. If every South African loved Jesus and he had the heartbeat of Christ and was fully controlled by the Holy Spirit, how many of you know we wouldn't even need to vote? How many of you know, man, we wouldn't even need laws that protect each other? I'm not talking about lawlessness. Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with law, if I can use that analogy. Because your love for God fully fulfills all the requirements of the law. So what we've set ourselves up for in this country, and you know what, we've given it permission, is what we call opposition politics. Where those guys are on this side and I'm on this side, let's fight. I am praying prophetically for the day that we no longer have opposition politics. I am praying for the day where political parties look at the other party and say, well done, we honor you for your decisions and for the right things you've done. Because we see Jesus in your actions. This is far greater than trying to decide which is the right and which is the wrong. See, that was the original curse that God put on mankind when they ate of the tree of the good of knowledge and evil. was the constant need to have to decide what is right and what is wrong. And it just fries your brain. <laughs> you see, let's talk about God's picture of kingdom. When they had judges, the people said, give us a king. Like those other countries, they look amazing. And Samuel was heartbroken. And God said to him, Samuel, they haven't rejected you as judge. They've rejected me. And today we still live, listen, we still live under those systems of governance where people have rejected their first love of Jesus Christ and now they're fighting with each other. All the parties. There's not one party that's exempt from this opposition spirit. Not one. We're speaking prophetically above that. You know, and when your vision is way above that, when you live in the kingdom of heaven, you see things on earth a lot differently to the way everyone else sees things. Your eyes and your ears have a different tune. You don't even pick up those other weird frequencies. You don't feel it, you don't see it. Because you're full of kingdom, kingdom-minded, all right? You see, what happens in government on earth has to start at home. It's got to start at home. You can't 
have your household in a mess and then be saying, but I want a government that's like this and like this and like this. <laughs> it's got to start at home. <laughs> I hope you said preach it and not Richard. <laughs> you got, it's got to start at home. And, and I like, me and coffee, we had, uh, me and Pamela, we had coffee this week. <laughs> me and Richard, we had coffee this week with Pamela. <laughs> and Pamela just said to me, she said, you know, church is a safe place. I love coming to church because it's a place where we actually get to experience a little bit of what heaven should feel like. And I've said this before, we come in the door and we greet and hug each other and we, we give each other high fives and make each other coffee and sing all nicely together. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> but you know what, it's, it's the presence of God at work. What you see here literally is God's spirit at work. You know, there's been denialists that have denied the purpose and the power of church and the purpose and the power of what God is doing in church, but what God is doing is church is in church is fundamental for the good of our nation because we've got people who are learning how to live in perfection. And we might just be the first of billions, but at least we're the first. <laughs> and at least we're living in the righteousness and the kind of perfection that God ascribed to us. Again, Ephesians 4, may we all attain unity in the faith so that we reach the absolute maturity of the standard of Jesus Christ. God doesn't set the barrier low. He sets that high jump pole as high as he can. <laughs> you know, I jumped, I used, to try and, I used to try high jump. They called it high jump at Christian school, but actually it was just medium jump. You know, <laughs> we were very proud if we came second in Christian schools. And then you go to North Gauteng and the Oaks are like. <laughs> in the country, I came second in the 1,500 meters in Christian schools. All right, second, number two. I'm the second best in matric at the 1,500 meters. I didn't look like I look today. I weighed 62. And then they were like, you should go for Northern's trials. And I'm like, you damn right, I should go to Northern trials. I'm second. You see, second. And that guy from KwaZulu-Natal, he's not even here. So, get to the race. I'm ready. And I notice I'm the only guy who's not wearing spikes. <laughs> I mean, my dackies. <laughs> At Pildage. Man, gun goes off. I ran the, first, the fastest 400 meters I've ever run in my life. And then they ran away from me. And they started lapping me from behind. <laughs> you see, sometimes we think we're amazing <laughs> when we're not. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, Jesus has said, a high standard. He set, you know, he set his standard of perfection for us. Look at the person next to you. If you're married, look at your wife and say, I fully expect you to be as perfect as Jesus was. <laughs> we should put that in our marriage vows. Like, 
officially, and I promise to be as perfect as Jesus was. <laughs> it's a joke, but, but I want you to think about it. I want you to think about what the world will look like when people attain the perfection of Jesus Christ. You know, we often say, let us be, let us attain that perfection. And then we've got people that are going, I don't know if I can believe this, whatever heretic stuff you're preaching. And I'm like, but just look at it. Look at what it looks like. Look at what the world, it's not for me. I'm not, I don't want to be the best in high jump for myself. I want to be the best. I want to have that maturity, and I can only have that maturity when I am fully in love with Jesus. Because, you know, that love pulls me up to his standard. Amen? Cool, that's only the first point. <laughs> but a, a lot of the first points, and I won't go as long as, as you know, I, I love preparing. So I'm preparing. I'm just like, man, this is good word. All right, let how about I just keep preaching and when you want to go home, you go home. Is that cool? <laughs> the second point is Philippians 4 verse 5. I've just got to find Philippians again. But it says there, Let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness because the Lord is near. He is coming soon. Oh, man. Did it say, um, let the people in church recognize your unselfishness, but at home, let your neighbor see you, you know? No, it says, let all men, all men, and just say with me again, all men. All men. Ladies, you're exempt. We don't have to let you know anything. All right. <laughs> all right. Let all mankind know. Come on, let all mankind know your unselfishness. And, and, and the second point there is this love that I'm talking about. Because you see, Christ's love is, is not just for ourselves. It's for all men. All men. So even if you're in the blue team and you're fighting with the red team, you've got to let the red team know, hey man, I'm unselfish. You with me? Whatever team you want to pick. I, I love to watch, you know, apparently I read... I'm, I'm going to say this, you know, from the front, but I actually, actually read, um, now I forgot his name. What's his name? No, it's not bad. Um, and what's that joke guy? Um, anyway, let's forget it. Huh? No, not Trevor, no. Man, man, who's the guy who, you know, like, he... Huh? Yeah, with the jeans. What's his name now? I forget. We make all those jokes about he's so strong, you know, um, Chuck Norris, there we go. I forgot his name for a moment. Right. I actually read his autobiography. You know, I was trying to be as perfect as Chuck Norris. And, uh, <laughs> and one of the things he started was judo classes in, in, um, in public schools. Because they found that kids who didn't have a purpose, when they started doing judo and they started to, you know, learn... The, the concept and the, of being able to fight a good fight but have full respect and honor. You know, there's not a greater, you know, these guys have got so much respect for each other. They club each other and kick each other, but they love each other. 
It's amazing. It's like, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if my wife kicked me like that, I'd be like, you're not eating for a week, you know, or something like that. It's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's, just, there's just this spirit of sportsmanship, you know. There, there's this love, that, that, the love for the game. I, I guess that's what it is. Boxers aren't the same. They hate each other. They want to kill each other. They, you know, so, so sorry if you're a boxer, but... <laughs> That, that's what love is. Let all men know our unselfishness. And you know what unselfishness is all about? It's about being able to project a vision and stick to the vision. You see, we're not here, and this is what that scripture means when it says we're not fighting flesh and blood, but we're fighting against principalities of darkness. You see, <laughs> we, we, when we want to fight a person, we're not demonstrating the love of God. We're not demonstrating love. There should be no good reason to fight. There is no good reason to fight. Sure, we can disagree. Sure, we can have different opinions about something. But you know what? Demonstrate that it's unselfish, that it's based on one vision, and that's seeing God's kingdom established on earth. And that I'm not fighting for myself I'm loving the world the way Jesus loves me. And by world, I don't mean the world. You know, there's two meanings to world. World, the earth we live on and the people in it. And then world of wickedness, those of, that have rejected Christ. Even then, I love them, but I'm not going to do what they do. <laughs> I'm not going to give them places of authority or, or allow them to influence my life or, you know... Come on. And so on the other side of the scale are all these Christians who love everyone. <laughs> you see, we've got two sides here. They love everyone. And, and they'll let them come into their lives and let them just wreak havoc on them. And, you know, and that's not love either. Love is, love is about vision. It's about being in love with what Jesus has given us as a vision. That's what it is. And so you show me that you're not selfish in this thing. I'm not fighting with you. I just know that we're attaining a vision. And here are some of the keys to freedom. And this is, this is two keys to freedom. But the first key to freedom, and what we're talking about, love creates freedom, right? We all agree that, that, that where there's love, there is freedom. There, there is, you know... So the first thing about freedom, the first point to freedom is that we nurture a culture where we want to see things grow. You see, it's, and then the second part of that is we want to protect what has grown. And so love says, let's grow, but I will protect that which Jesus has given me. And so many people see protection as some sort of control that they want nothing to be of. I was listening to Chris Vallotton in the week and he was saying, you know, some people like to read the Bible as a menu and they like certain parts and they don't like certain parts. So some people become, you know, gracetarians and they skip the meat, you know. <laughs> and unfortunately in church is that People see grace as being, you know, loving to everyone and letting everyone just get their way. And, 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 and you know what? You don't protect in that environment. 
you've got to protect the kingdom of God. You've got to protect him in your heart. And you, you can't protect him out there. You, know, you protect the kingdom in here. This is, this, is, this is the only place you have full control of. Some people think they don't even have control of inside you, but remember Jesus set a high standard. You have full control of what goes on inside you so that you can help cultivate a growing environment, an empowering environment, and protecting the values and the vision that make that environment possible. No one plants a plant and then lets it grow and, and then stops watering and lets the birds come and eat from all the fruit. And I mean, we had mouse birds on our plants and I'm like, go demons. <laughs> You're eating our spinach. How many of you know that mouse birds eat spinach? Okay. <laughs> Verse 9 of, of Revelation 2. Um, says the following and this is just setting that standard come on God's doing some heart surgery here it says I know your affliction and distress and pressing trouble and your poverty but you are rich Harry and how you are abused and reviled and slandered by those who say they are Jews but actually they're from the synagogue of Satan I just had to put that voice in there. <laughs> you see, as Christians, we've, we do not have a right to be offended with anyone. See, God's saying, yeah, I know you've lost your first love. But part of the reason why we lose our first love is because we get hurt by other people, never mind even God. <laughs> and then we choose not to love them back. And we choose to be offended and hurt. Is this all making sense? We choose that that distress that I went to was big enough to qualify me from being hurt and angry, by the way, and everyone must know it. <laughs> you see, there's no good reason to be angry. None, none, zero. It's not one single good enough reason to be angry with anyone. I'm looking at when Peter now and he tells me, oh no, back in the day there was a guy who stole a million from us, but we're okay now. <laughs> See, God wants us to forgive <laughs> because it's from that first love that we forgive, that we honor that we, that we are able to serve. How many of you know that some of the best examples of power were, like I think of Joseph in the Bible and how he was sold to slavery. And then he went to prison unfairly. And then his friends in prison forgot about him. And I mean... If there was someone here and he got up and said, I just want to tell you a story. When I was 18, my brother sold me to Iraq. I haven't been able to forgive them. 
And everyone goes, you're right, you have a reason. And, and listen, there are lots of people being sold into slavery right now. There are a lot of people going through hell. There are a lot of people going, but Jesus made you strong enough to overcome all wickedness. And, and we say, amen, and yay. And then when we go through bad times, we forget that nothing is impossible. Jesus never said it's not going to be difficult. He just said nothing is impossible. So if Joseph could maintain his first love, keep his first love, keep his faith, and then when he prophesied to the, the, the bread maker and, and the baker and, and the, the, you know, the, the wine dude, whatever he was, the server, he was like, I've made it. My message is going, finally. And still they forgot about him. But you know what? He, he came and he served in the court of Pharaoh. How many of you know he served in a foreign court? <laughs> he served with a foreign king. But because he loved God, that king saw him for who he was and made him ruler over the nation. Because he served he served out of love. He served with passion. And I read that story. If I, if I want to cry, I can cry easily. But if I really want to cry, I go read the part where Joseph meets his brothers for the first time. And they bring his young brother back after the back and forth. And it says Joseph was so overwhelmed he had to excuse himself. Because how many of you know that that moment that forgiveness stirs your heart and completely over. The moment you're completely yield from years and years of regret is the most powerful moment any man can go through. That's why when we say, I believe in Jesus and I accept him into my heart, we actually should be going through that very same transformation as our heart is completely made brand new. And Joseph wept. And he wept and he composed himself and then he went to introduce himself. It's one of the most powerful pictures. It's probably my favorite read in the Bible. Because it's the moment that forgiveness and love is on full display. Man, it's just so powerful. So citizens of the state always rejoice. Citizens of the state, they always love. They're able to handle whatever gets thrown at them, and they're able to handle it in kingdom, in righteousness, in love, right? Lastly, citizens of the state, man, they... Uh, let me just go back to point two, sorry. James 5, verse 9 and 11 says, Do not complain, brethren, against each other. Don't complain against each other. Don't. Just don't complain against each other. And, and then it says, the Lord is full of pity and compassion and tender mercy. Cool. Number three, citizens of the state, they pray with thanksgiving. Sure, man. <laughs> Some of us need to change the way we pray. We need to pray with thanksgiving. We, we need to pray from 
that standard. Um, it says in Philippians 4 verse 6, do not fret or have anxiety over anything. Just say with me again, anything. Again, is there any good reason to fret or be anxious? <laughs> the same as Joseph never had any good reason to be offended or hurt, there is no good reason to fret or even to be anxious. None. There's no, there's no checklist that says, all right, now you may fret and be anxious. It just doesn't exist. And so many people struggle with day to day, you know, maybe the money hasn't come through, maybe your finances aren't enough, maybe, maybe things are going wrong at work, you, you name it. Name all of the things that cause fret and anxiety and stress and, and, and heart disease. Man, <laughs> you just don't need to have it because the Father knows what you need even before you know what you need. And so when you feel that rising tide in your heart, tell yourself, I am going to look into the kingdom. I am going to look into heaven and see what the kingdom looks like so that I can live it. That, 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 that scripture I read now, I said, man, God wants you to have peace now and forevermore. So that peace that surpasses all understanding, surpasses all good reasons for you to fret and be anxious. And I know some of us just feel like you want the reasons and the answers, but, but the real answer really is to love Jesus so that you can live in a kingdom. And we just prophesied on Wednesday night, and we were saying, may the, may the, may the sound of the future be heard even now. <laughs> Amongst our children, as, as, and that's why God says our children become worshippers, because even from a young age, they're worshipping Him in thanksgiving, even for the rest of their lives. <laughs> there is a thanksgiving that takes place. So, so when we pray for our nation, man, how are we praying? We're praying in thanksgiving. We're, we're saying thank you for that which you've... And, and I, I want to ask you to look around and, and see the things you, you have. I, in my first trip to London, you know, I was in London for a day. And when I got to South Africa back again, I was like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for a sun that shines. Thank you that when it shines, it's not a Facebook event. And <laughs> that I don't have to post photos of my kids on Instagram and people are like, what's that? No, it's just the kids in the sun, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Our world is known. It is known for a fact, scientifically, research, statistically, you name it, we are in the best time that the world has ever seen before. It's time that the church starts saying thank you. That there is that sound of praise that says thank you. And there's the sound of praise. And listen, this is what our church is all about. We want to protect and uphold and make a place where people can come and praise God and be that call that says, let's go and praise. We're not looking for enemies anymore. We're not looking out for things that make us stress and feel uneasy. We're looking forward. We're only looking one way, and that is to the kingdom of God. 
And it says Jesus is coming soon. And, and I believe, yes, he will physically appear. But it also means he's filling every heart's so that every heart is filled with the fullness of the love of God. When Daniel saw Jesus in his risen form in, in Daniel 8 or Daniel 10, one of the two, it says he, he was, there was Jesus dressed in the finest gold, Claudie, and man, out of the sound of his voice came the sound of multitudes worshiping. That's what Jesus' voice sounds like. It sounds like the sound of praise erupting all over the earth. And so Jesus has risen already. And we get to live in that fullness of Jesus Christ. I'm super excited. And I'm praying for hearts. And I'm praying for all of our hearts. That our hearts may be completely changed. So that we can experience the full love and the grace of God. Manifested on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Yeah, God, I just thank you for your prophetic voice. I thank you that you speak life. I thank you that out of our words will only be the words of life. And so, Father, we bless every heart, but not only that, we ask that you do surgery on all of our hearts so that you can remove every hard part and remove every part that has been decided that they will be in opposition to that what you're doing on earth, Jesus. I know that sounds hard to pray, but Father, I ask though that you come and massage our hearts, come and restore them back to life. Come and give us fullness, Father. Come and see, though, that you, you will transform even what is mortal and even what is dying into the fullness of life so that we can physically see your kingdom come. And, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you, you're a great and a loving Father, and you've given us Jesus, who, who is your Son. And I just feel the love of a Father to his children right now. And, and I thank you, Father, that you are so good to us, that you want to give us every good gift. Thank you, Father, that we will not struggle anymore. We will not be behind anymore. Thank you that our country is on the verge of an economic turnaround. And our country will see your kingdom come. Thank you, Father, that it's on the verge of a righteous turnaround. Lord, that you will work in every single household. That you will transform households. That they will be like, like beams of light just popping open in the darkness. That we will know in that house Jesus is there. And your prophetic word says no man will have to tell his neighbor, do you know God? Because in our nation, every single person will know and understand the real power of Jesus Christ manifested in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.